Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is Wolves and Sheep's Clothing. Wolves and Sheep's Clothing, Matthew 7, 15 through 16a. And this is where we get that song, remember, I just want to be a sheep. This is where it comes from. I'm going to just do this one, and meanwhile, we have another better song in just a minute. But remember, I just want to be a sheep, bad, bad. I just want to be a sheep, bad, bad. Don't want to be a wolf. No, I just want to be a sheep, bad, bad. Yeah. All right, so that's where we get that from, this, this passage. But we have a special guest. Uh, I'm going to let Mike introduce uh, Wendy. And, and Did you write this song, Wendy? Okay, Wendy actually wrote, Mike's like, Wendy's got a great song. Wendy Shedding has a great song. And uh, she also has tapes and CD, tapes, CDs, just CDs. I got to get off the tape thing. All right, all right. CDs in the back, my age, right? Eight, track ta- eight tracks in the back, yeah. The records, yeah. But she has CDs in the back, and, and, uh, but this is a great song. Mike sold it big on me, so uh, here we go. Thanks, Chuck. It is my friend uh, Wendy Shedding. And uh, thank, you. thank you. She's Good a, morning. She's a great singer-songwriter and a Christian artist, and I play in a band with her. And uh, she has this song, which I thought was really appropriate, so I asked Chuck if uh, she could come and sing it for us this morning, and he said, yeah. So this is Wendy. Thank you. Thanks. Good morning, New Hope Community Church. That's a mouthful. You can't say that too fast. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having us here. Uh, you'll recognize the character in this and we'll be I guess talking about this character all morning y'all ready deep in the forest where there's darkness all the time and the air is stale and damp steals around us where the sounds of the forest echo up and down your spine There lives a wolf in sheep's pajamas I've often tried to follow a different path at night But they always seem to take me to the places the wolf likes He wears those fuzzy slippers just to make you think he's nice To try and draw you closer On a cruise for two to the Bahamas But the baggage fees and taxes cost 1500 bucks Was that wolf in sheep's pajamas He's got a sneaky plan to whisper in your ear to Tell you all the things that you really want to hear You never will admit that it's all a pack of lies are you in danger to see me? He bought me a dozen roses and asked me on a date. He told me not to tell my mama. 
But he smiled as if he thought I looked just like a sirloin steak. Was that in sheep's pajamas? Next to grizzly bears, crocodiles, and iguanas. This world's so full of dirty tricks, it's hard not to get chewed by that wolf in sheep's pajamas. By that wolf in sheep's pajamas. By that wolf in sheep's pajamas. Thank you, Wendy and Mike. And uh, Mike, you don't have to ask for permission. Wendy can always come. All right, so you never have to ask that. But let, many of you have heard Wendy before, a lot of different events and ladies' things. And so it's great to have, have you back again, Wendy. And uh, once again, CDs in the back, lot, lots, of good, lots of good worship and music and super. So, so the title, Wolf, <laughs> thank you for the song, Wolf and Sheep's Clothing. And we were on Matthew, last time we were in Matthew was Matthew seven thirteen to 14, where he says here about the narrow road, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We talked about the narrow road, how there's only one way through faith in Jesus Christ. Very, very clear in the scriptures. And how to stand that road. We talked about how to stand that road. We went through Hebrews and looked at different parts of Hebrews there, 11 and 12. Once again, get the CDs or go on the podcast if you're missing. Last week, we talked about the secret to the strength to stay on that road. Lots of powerful things we looked at there in Hebrews. But today, he goes into the warning. After the narrow road, Jesus goes into a warning saying that something, really, someone is trying to keep us from that road trying to keep us from that road to life. And we're going to see that there are religious teachers who will try to lead us through the wide gate, down the broad path, down that broad road to destruction. And they're really trying to destroy us spiritually. I call these people hell's evangelists. You all know about evangelists, you know, Chuck Harrison doing evangelism. But these are hell's evangelists. Very, very serious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for the special music, all bringing us to this place, to your word. And Father, we pray that each one of us, whether we're sitting here live or whether we're hearing this on a 
podcast or on a CD somewhere. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and help us to, to be discerning and take this warning from Jesus, this very serious warning to our, deep into our heart. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're going to look here now at Matthew 7, 15 through 20, but I'm not going to get the whole way, obviously. Through you know me better than that. But verse 15, we'll start off, we'll read the passage as a whole. It says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise... Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Say that ten times fast. Uh, Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So back to the verse 15 there, what we're going to focus on here. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Watch out for false prophets. It's a big warning that Christ is giving us here. When someone teaches something against the word of God, if they say something and it goes against God's word, it goes against the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, in any way, shape, or form, they are a false prophet, or often in the New Testament they're called false teachers. Okay? Or, now this is just as, this is even more tricky, maybe they don't say anything against the word, but they omit something. As they're teaching, they omit something that's in the word of God. They leave it out. They are careful, they carefully go around that. Because they're more concerned about man's opinion than God's opinion. And if that happens, that's also false teaching. And even someone who's a Bible-believing person can still fall into that category of a false teacher. Now, some, are very, some false prophets, some false teachers are very easy to spot. They jump right out at you. World religions, other world religions, obviously, they're, it's false teaching. Cults like the Mormons, you know, that's real obvious. You look at the, the Mormon religion, and if you really study it, you see it's not another denomination. It's a, it's a very serious cult, okay? There's people on the radio like Harold Camping, you know, it's obviously a false prophet. He's predicted the second coming several times, and he's been wrong, and if it was Old Testament times, he'd already be stoned. You know, he'd been, you know, rocked long ago, right? But luckily, he's in, for him, fortunately for him, it's age of grace, (laughs) or there's no stoning going on, but he's a false prophet. But even before Harold Camping predicted the second coming, if you look at his teaching, it was obviously false teaching. He he taught, he teaches that the Holy Spirit is no longer in the church today. The, the Holy Spirit left the church years ago, and, it, and, and so if you go to church today, you're in a, in, a, you're in a false teaching, he teaches, that you're in the wrong place, and you're getting false teaching if you're in a church today. Now, that's because he was kicked out of his church years ago, and apparently when he was kicked out of his church, that's when the Holy Spirit left the church, you know? So even if you... Way before that, it's false teaching. But how many people do we know put, paid for billboards and, and, and followed this teaching and sold their stuff? It's really sad that, that we... So, but once again, that's something that jumps out. There's a lot of apostate churches that are in our area. You go visit them, and it's, within a few minutes, you realize you're in an apostate church. You're in a church that's 
teaching false teaching. In fact, one of them locally, I'm not going to name churches today, but one locally, I had a friend who became a Christian, and she was attending this church nearby, and she was so into the Bible, she was getting so much out of it, she says, I love, I love the Bible so much, I've never really read it before in church. So she went out and bought a case of Bibles and brought them to her church, and said, I like to put these out so people could get a Bible on their way in. And you know what her pastor said? Her pastor said, the pastor, she said, no, no, we don't want anybody to be offended by having a Bible sitting in the back of the church. So no, we don't want, we don't want to offend people coming in and make them think we want them to read the Bible. That's a false church. That's a false teacher. That's, but this is what's going on. It's around. Now, some is real obvious. Some are more tricky. They're trickier. Uh, you're watching TV, and this guy comes on who's smiling really big, and he's got a really big church, and I'm going to name a name, Joel, Joel Osteen, right? He's on, and he's, he's just so popular. He's, he's got a stadium full of people, and he's got millions of dollars coming in, and, and all he does is talk positively, you know, positive, positive, positive. Now, he does, if you really push him to the wall, He'll say, yeah, I do believe in Jesus and believe in the gospel, but he's so careful. He doesn't like to talk about anything negative like sin or the cross or anything negative. And, and that, that's, a, that's false teaching. In fact, he's been so careful and slippery that recently they really pushed him to the wall on, on homosexuality. They had him on a show and they were pushing him. They said, what do you think about homosexuality? And, and, and he said, well, it's not God's plan for people. He didn't come out and say it was wrong. He just said it's not God's plan. And the people on the show were so offended. They were like, Joe, we thought you were one of us. What? You, you, you don't believe everything's okay? That's how slippery he's been. His little, and, but I, I'm thankful he finally took a stand on something. But the sad part is they were shocked that he didn't think that was okay. And, and I'm going to mention homosexuality a couple times, say, you know our church it doesn't matter what, that's one of many struggles that people have. We help everybody with any struggle. We don't judge this. But it's such a lightning rod issue in our culture that it fits well with what I'm going to be dealing with. So just an FYI on that. Uh, the emergent church. The emergent church, when it first started, there was this big movement, the emergent church. And it looked so positive at first because there were so many good things. They were reaching the younger crowd and, and they were trying to do things a little differently and one of the main guys who led this whole movement was Rob Bell. Rob Bell, Rob Bell. We showed his video in the church, it was several of his worship videos. It was really well done, and, and it was real thought-provoking, and really good. And it, but, but all of a sudden, Rob Bell, there were starting to be red flags jumping out, you know? And next thing you know, he came out with a book saying that you don't need to believe in Jesus, and you're going to get to heaven if you're just a good person. And, that kinda, and, and his own church, which was not real super solid, Ask them to leave, you know? And it, but that, that's what's come out is these false teachers. Are, are, they, they look good. They sound good. They draw a lot of people out after them. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, they start teaching against the word of God. And that's false teaching. Some are tricky. You've got to be careful. There's many warnings in the Bible about false teaching. Matthew 24. We're in Matthew. Matthew 24, talking about the second coming and the signs of the second coming. Matthew 24, 9 says, Jesus says here, he says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. 
Many false prophets will deceive many people. These are religious people being deceived. People going to churches, people thinking they're Christians, right? And they're being deceived. It's one of the signs of the second coming. Are we seeing that today? In our country, we sure aren't we? And you go over to Europe, the same thing. It's, it's wide, widespread. Many false prophets. He says, watch out for false prophets. Because why? They're sheep and wolves. I'm sorry, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. It's hard to spot. They're, it, they're tricky, just like the song we hear. They're very tricky. They're deceptive. They're deadly. They're dangerous. Like the song says, it's better to be in the zoo when you see the lions, you see the crocodiles, you see all the dangerous animals, because you're, you're on your guard. But what's dangerous about the, the wolf and sheep clothing is they come from right here, they're within, and they're, they're deadly. They kill. I, I saw an article not too long ago about uh, a hen-eating sheep creates a dilemma. Now get this. This is, what, this is still happening. It says this guy in Dubai, his sheep went off its vegetarian diet and created a tricky moral dilemma for its Muslim owner. This guy said he's been raising the animal for a special feast in his home. He wants to eat this sheep, right? But now he's seeking guidance from a Muslim scholar on whether it's permissible to eat the sheep that has gobbled up nine chickens. Wow. You know, I, I had a lamb. Yeah. Uh, animals which scavenge are among foods banned by Islam. So because it's scavenging, I mean, it's eating sheep. Uh, the, the sheep was eating chickens, which are scavengers, so they're not allowed to eat the chickens. So since the sheep is eating the chickens, can they still eat the sheep? That's what he's asking the holy man and the, this, this Muslim guy, right? He said it was always a meek and gentle creature, but now it's turned into a monster. My two daughters... Two and five used to play with it, but now they're scared to go near it for fear it will gobble them up too, he said. Uh, he says he believes loneliness drove the animal to binge. I gave away its friend sheep, and now it became lonely, and it's deeply sad. Now it's eating. Well, a sheep eating chicken, that's unheard of. It's, it's crazy, right? But that's what the same picture that Jesus is using. He's using a crazy picture of sheep that are really wolves inside, and they're eating the other sheep. Sheep here. Paul warned about this in Acts 20, verse 29. In Acts 20, 29, it was his last words to the church in Ephesus, his going away. And he says to them, and I put the wrong thing here. Wait just a minute. Acts 20, 29, where he says, I have to go by memory. Oh, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own numbers. I'm going to have to look it up. See, see, Kim, I get it too. I, where's Kim? I get it too, Kim. See, there you are. See, I do it too. Acts twenty twenty nine. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Verse 30, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. It's the same idea that even from our, it's, it's from within. That's what's so dangerous about this false teaching and the false prophets, it's from within the church that it happens. Satan has figured this out. He figured out that counterfeiting the truth is more effective than attacking the truth. 
than persecuting the truth. Persecution backfired. Satan, still plenty of persecution going on, but at the beginning, that was his main tool. For the first couple hundred years, attack, 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 kill Christians, kill Christians, persecution. And what did it do? It just kept spreading like wildfire. The, the more persecution, the more converts, the more amazing things that, that happened spiritually. And so he finally got, uh, he, he figured this out, and persecution backfired, so he decided if he can't beat him, join him. And he takes Constantine, this pagan emperor who becomes Christian, and, and turns, the, turns the Christian religion into the state church. And as a result of that, he uses Constantine to paganize the church. And the holy Catholic church becomes the Roman Catholic church. And when it, that happened, it brought in all the, the Roman paganism brought in. I'm reading a, a, an old book on the Roman Empire, and I'm reading it. This is all pre-Christ, and I'm reading all these things that the Romans believed and practiced spiritually. And I was reading I'm like, what is it? This is, it's like, it's like reading about the Roman Catholic Church today. So many things that you see, in the, and a lot of you grew up Roman Catholic, and I have a lot of good friends who are Roman Catholic, but so many things you see in the Roman Catholic Church, you say, where did they get that from? It's not in the Bible anywhere. Where did they get that from? And in fact, a lot of it goes against the Bible. Where did they get that from? I'm reading this the book on Roman religion, pre-Christ Roman religion, and it's all there. It's amazing that the parallels are all there. They just, Constantine just shoveled it all in. He shoveled it all in and just paganized the church. Satan figured that out. And the religious masses think that these religious teachers are leading them to heaven when really, when these false teachers, where are they leading them? To hell. That's where they're leading them. They're leading them on the wrong road. And they speak with authority and they, they look, sound like they know what they're doing, but they're leading them the wrong way. I remember when I, and I'm just, not just talking about, I'm talking about, it's a lot bigger than just one, one church. It's big. I remember when I was at, uh, it was called PCB at the time, then it became PBU, and now it's Karen University, uh, Philadelphia Biblical University. But when I went, it was PCB. And I remember one time we came, I went to church with three other friends. We were in the car, we came out of church, and we're going to get ready to go to lunch, and we're right by our dorms there in Langhorn. And we, as we pull out of the church, I see this guy walking along the road right, right near the church, right across from our dorms, and we were just getting ready to go to lunch, and I just felt bad for him. He was, he was, he was uh, mentally challenged. You could see that. He, he had, you know, uh, it, was, it was obvious he had mental challenges, and um, he was born with them. It was obvious, and so I, I always had a, a soft spot in my heart for, for these guys. I used to work with them in college, and so I said, guys, let's, let's give this guy a ride home. You know, let's, before we go get lunch, let's give him a ride home. They said, all right, all right. So I stopped the car. I said, hey, buddy. He was about 20 years old. Maybe I said, hey, buddy, you need a ride home? He goes, okay. And so he gets in the back. I have two of us in the front and two in the back. So he gets in the back between the two guys. And I said, okay, now, where do, where do you live? And he goes, straight. I said, okay. Okay. So I, I'm going this way. We start going straight. And so we start driving. I go, how far away is it? Straight. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I kept driving, and, and, I, and we keep driving. Every time I try to say, are we almost there? Straight. You know, so you, I go, do you know where you live? Straight. You know, you kept saying it's straight, so I kept doing it, you know. And this went on for a while. We drove almost for an hour. <laughs> and, 
And every, whenever I question them, are you sure you know straight? You get mad at me. I'm like, yeah. so we're like, we're upsetting him, you know, and he's straight, you know. And, and, and so, so finally we get to a bridge. I can't remember what state we were crossing into. It was either New Jersey or Delaware. It was one of those bridges. I can't, I was trying to remember the bridge. It was far. It was like an hour. From Langhorne, it was an hour away, right? We're all starving. And, and, and one guy in the back, his name was Don. He's like, why are we listening to him? You know, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm like, and I say, Don, be nice, be nice. I go, uh, buddy, I, well, straight. You know? And I, I, I'm going over the bridge. I go, that's enough. And Don goes, wait, wait, what are we doing? Stop the car. We get over, we drive back to the Pennsylvania. He goes, let's ask him if he has identification. Oh, yeah, right? So he did have a wallet. We pull out the wallet and we look. And his address was right next to the church. <laughs> we drove two hours when it was really, a, we could have like, you know, left him alone. He was at his, his driveway, right? And, but he was so authoritative, you know? He really looked like he knew what he was doing. And, and so we drove him home. And uh, that was fun. So that, that's funny, but it's really What's sad is when it happens spiritually. Because there's these people with, so many people are following these false teachers and they speak with so much authority, but they're lost. They have no idea where they're really going. And that's, that's what's happening spiritually. And he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This is key. By their fruit, you will recognize them. In Second Peter 2 Verses 1 to 3, Peter goes into a little bit more detail, and he gives us a few marks here on how to recognize their fruit. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you as stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. The, there, there are several marks that jump out at us in this passage, many other passages on, on false teachers in, in, in Matthew 7 also. There are several, three Ps I, I came up with. One is popular, one is profit, and one is perverting. First of all, with popular, the false teachers are popular usually. That's how they get people to follow them. They're often charismatic. They have a natural charisma, sometimes a spiritual, demonic charisma. They're very charismatic and in our post-Christian culture today, because they are false teachers, they, they're able to grow large ministries. Back when we had a Christian country, it was hard to grow cults because it was harder. But now that there's so many people aren't really Christian, it's easier to grow a large ministry because they say what people want to hear. Now, I'm not saying all big churches are, are, are false teachers. No, if you're in the Bible Belt, it's still very easy to grow a large church. Down where Greg and Amber are in, in Texas, their Sunday schools are probably bigger than our church. You know what I mean? They're just, they're just, it's a Bible about. Also, some are in cities, and, and others are just being blessed by God. Super. You can still preach faithfully and still have a, a large church. But, unfortunately, many of these bigger churches preach politically correct 
These churches where there's false teachers, false prophets, they teach politically correct. They teach there are many ways to God. You know, Jesus is just one way. There's many ways to God. And you can live any way you want to because you're going to still go to heaven. God is this Santa Claus in the sky and he's going to let you all in someday. And, and God is love. He's love. He's love. God is love. Well, it is true God loves, but he's holy first. We'll get to that later. And even some evangelical churches, Bible-believing evangelical churches, fall into the trap of false teaching. Now hear this. Even those that really do believe the Bible, they fall into the trap of false teaching. They preach carefully. They omit anything that would be offensive. They don't talk about the blood of Christ. They don't talk about hell. They don't talk about uh, abortion. Even though the Bible is very clear on it, they would never, I've been to these churches, they would never bring up abortion. Well, guess what? It's talked about every day. You can't open the news without reading it. It's a cultural war. It's huge. And Christians have to address it. And it is in the Bible. It's not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. Because it says very clearly, as Christians, you shall not commit murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And there's no doubt, if you follow the news, it's coming out very clearly with this whole Philadelphia abortion doctor. It's people are starting to finally open up their eyes and realize that it is murder. All right? And we as Christians have to stand up for these babies. We have to extend mercy and grace to the poor women who have been lied to and the men who have been lied to and, and help them find healing in Jesus Christ. We have to, we have to, we have to do that. But, but they don't talk about abortion. Or if they do, they're pro-choice. <laughs> Okay, or they don't talk about homosexuality being a sin. And I use this once again. You can't open the page. It's constant. It's around us all the time. I don't. Talk, I don't talk about this a lot, but it's it's big, and it's one of the things that false teachers and false churches don't talk about. Even though the Bible is very clear, many verses on it. Leviticus eighteen: Whoever lies with a man is one lies with a woman. Uh, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman, for that is detestable, God says. It's detestable. Gay marriage? Come on. Christians believing in that? Not being taught the truth about that? Genesis 2.24? God can't say, spell it out any more clearly. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's God's plan for marriage. I don't care what the world teaches, I don't care what the country does, but as Christians and as churches, we have to teach the truth and believe the truth and follow the truth. There's no way around it. But these churches are seeker-oversensitive. Now, I didn't say seeker-sensitive, because there's nothing wrong with being seeker-sensitive. You know, if, if ties... People don't want to dress up in ties and, well, we shouldn't wear ties to church or not require that in church, right? No big deal. That's being seeker-sensitive. Seeker-oversensitive is when we don't say anything biblical because we don't want to offend somebody. And, and the seeker-oversensitive churches cut up the Bible like it's Swiss cheese. Remember Thomas Jefferson went through the Bible and cut out the parts he didn't like? You know, that he didn't, whatever's miraculous, he cut it up. Well, a lot of pastors do that in these, in these seeker-oversensitive churches. And, and they cut it up like Swiss cheese. And, it, and it's really important that we learn to discern. Don't look at the size of a church. Don't look at the crowd as, as, the, as, the, 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 as the measuring point of whether it's a, a successful, biblically successful church. Look at, are they producing disciples of Jesus Christ? 
Are they making disciples of Jesus Christ? I, I know a church in, in, in our area who, very popular. And, and I have a lot of my friends who are not Christians that have been going to this church. And whenever I have spiritual conversations with this, these, my friends, they're like, it's like, you know, it's like I stuck my finger in their eye. You know what I mean? And I'm like, so I know they're not open spiritually, but they're all going to this church. I'm thinking, what is going on? If I talk about Jesus, it's like I stuck my finger in their eye, but they go to this church and they love it. What is going on? I, and, and I know this church believes the Bible and believes the gospel. So I, I finally, I, some other friends of mine started going there and they left. And then and, and I said, why did you leave that church? They said, because they preach carefully there. I go, what do you mean? They go, they won't say anything that offends anyone. So anything in the Bible that's the least bit offensive, they just avoid it. And then I got it. Of course, that's the secret. That's, what are they doing? They're not producing disciples of Jesus Christ. I bet if I went into the, I know what the, the people going there believe. I, they're my friends. I talk to them. They're not disciples of Christ. They're being deceived. I had another church that uh, a lot of people have said, oh, this church is great. It's doing all these hip things, and we got to do what this church is doing. And, and I went on their website, because uh, I'm hearing so much about it, and I went on their website, and it was during election time, and they had this whole big article on elections, the election and the, the voting, and this is back for the presidential election. And, and, I, and they had this whole, they did a survey on their church, and the pastor was saying, we shouldn't be political, and, which is true. But then they said, but they did a survey, and they questioned the people in their church. This is a, a happening church in this, I'm not going to get too specific, happening church. And, and they said, what is the most important thing that, that's affecting our country, and what, do we, what should be our main voting focus? And they did a survey. Guess what was number one in this very successful church? The economy. The economy, that was like 80%, you know? It was like the number one focus of these people voting in this Christian church was the economy. If we did a survey and I found out that here, I would be horrified. I wouldn't put it on a website. I'd be horrified. You know what would happen? Seriously, if I found out that that was the main driving force of our voting here, I would quit. I would resign from this church the next day. Because that's the last thing on my list, and I hope it's the last thing on the majority. Of, I know it is from the majority. It's the last thing on our list. What is the main thing that we should focus on? It's moral issues. It's biblical issues. The, the, what's affecting this country is not the economy. It's, it's the moral breakdown and, and the, the need for people to have a spiritual revival. And the economy collapsing might be the best thing that could happen for that. It may take that, but it just, it just, I'd be horrified. You remember the Bill Clinton saying, it's the economy stupid? Well, there's still a lot of people, Christians, that think that way, but that's spiritually stupid. It's spiritually stupid. That, it, it, it's, it's, it's so much bigger than that. And we have to stop focusing on, as a church in America, we have to stop worrying about making a crowd and we have to focus on making disciples and if god gives us a crowd it's super as long as they're disciples but it rarely goes together does it popularity the second thing is profits are they interested in making a profit 
some of you have told me stories about churches you've come from, and you've been damaged by those churches, you've been hurt by those churches, and usually it's the pastor who's trying to make a profit. Fleecing the sheep. You turn on the TV, that's the best place to see it. These guys are selling snake oil, these guys. Not all, there's some really great Bible preachers. But the majority of the ones on TV are just selling snake oil. They're false teachers. And then the stories come out. The guy who says, send me your prayer letters, and I'm going to pray over them all and, and send so much money with them. And if you do, I'm going to pray over them all. And and turns out he was opening them, taking the money out, and throwing them all in the dumpster. He didn't pray over any of them. He got caught. Remember that whole story? Or these guys who do the healings. And, and I love it when God heals. We love it if there's a healing. But but these guys who do these healings, they, they turn out that they, they had the guy in the back asking people, and then he was doing the relay with the earphone, telling him what was wrong with the people, and he was claiming to have words of knowledge and healing them, and it was all fake. I love it when God really heals, but a lot of these guys are fake. What are they trying to do? They're trying to make money. They're lying to people. They're, 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 they're stealing from these people. And the third thing is not only are they focused on the popularity or profits, but they pervert. They pervert. God's word. That's why I call them hell's evangelists. I was witnessing to a friend a few years ago here, and her, and her mother was dying in the hospital. And she was like, what should I tell her? And, and I, I knew my friend was borderline Christian. She went to one of these churches. And I, <clears throat> I shared the gospel with her. I said, this is what you have to tell your mom. And I gave her a track, and I walked her through it. I said, and I was trying to witness my friend at the same time, right? And, and I shared the gospel, and I said, now go share this with your mom. And she's like, I'm, I'm really going to do this. I'm going to do it. But when she got to the hospital, her pastor was there. And she came back and said, it's okay. It's okay. Give me the track. It's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, my pastor was there. And, and she just, uh, not, not, he, he, uh, he, he just uh, made, made us all feel better and not to worry about anything i.e., give the track back. My mom doesn't need Jesus. She's going to be okay, and I don't need Jesus either. That's what's called hell's evangelists. They're leading people to hell. And, and the, they pervert who Jesus is, that he's just a good teacher, or that he's just one way to God. And they ignore John three sixteen for God so loved the world, they gave his one and only son. Or they ignore John fourteen six where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They, they pervert the gospel. And there's two ways they pervert the gospel. One is it's a work salvation, or the other one is there's no works are necessary. It's all works or no works. All works are just easy believism. Just believe something and it's okay. As long as you believe in Jesus, you're going to heaven. It doesn't have to be any change. Or it's all work. You have to earn your way into heaven. There's, there's the two, two ways they pervert the gospel. That's false teaching. Both are perversions of the gospel. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, is, is, it doesn't get any more clear, the gospel, and, and the, re, the relationship of salvation and works. <clears throat> it says here, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Do works save us? Not one little bit. Don't save us. 
We're saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, by saying, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, which I'm repenting of, and I put my faith in him to forgive me, and I put my faith in him to save me, and so I can have a relationship with you, God. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, my hope and trust in Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith. So all the people that teach work salvation are false teachers. Now, that's where some people stop. They say, as long as you believe that, you're okay. But they ignore verse 10, which says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do work, Are works important? You better believe they are. But they come after salvation. We're saved by faith, but what should follow immediately after? Works, a changed life, fruit should be there, which we're going to talk about next week. And if it's not there, guess what? There's not real faith. Real faith results in a changed life. That's the proof. So do good works save us? Not one little bit. Are they necessary? You better believe it. They're very necessary because they prove that the faith is real. But that's what false teaching does. It perverts the true gospel. And discernment is the key. At salvation, when you, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, when, as soon as you became a Christian, you experienced the new birth. You were born again. A new birth. And at that time, you received spiritual eyesight. Before that, you were spiritually blind. When you put your faith in Christ, when we took that step, we received spiritual sight. And so now we have the ability to discern, but we have to de- develop that ability. What happens when you don't use an ability? You lose it. Use it or lose it, right? Sooner or later, it just kind of atrophies, just like a muscle. And it, you use it or lose it, and spiritually, it's the same thing. It's very, very important that we keep using the, the, our discernment. In fact, we're commanded to do that. In fact, in Hebrews... <laughs> can't get off of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5, he says, Hebrews 5.11, now follow this. He's, he says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. <clears throat> In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary teaching truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Saying you're a big baby. He's talking to some... Nobody in our church, right? So it says, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. How do we learn how to distinguish between good and evil? By constant use of God's word, of, of our spiritual discernment. We learn to discern as we mature spiritually. We learn to discern, this guy's a false teacher. Or I'm not going to listen to that. Or what's in this movie? We learn to discern the difference by that constant use. I take the kids out. uh, It's almost berry picking. You know, summer berries come out. And and we go on these walks, which I talk about my walks for the kids all the time and getting them in shape. But one of the really fun things is when the berries come out. Because we love, they just think, you know, it's like, candy on vines, right? And we just go out and we eat berries and, and first of all, I'll come out those, those wine, those, uh, wine berries and the, uh, 
the raspberries and then the thimbleberries, all the different blackberries all come out, and we have it all mapped out when they're going to come out. And, and we'll, the kids just love the berries. They just eat the berries, eat the berries. And I've trained them. I've taught them there's some poison berries and then there's safe berries. The, usually the rule of thumb is a smooth berry is usually poison, unless it's a blueberry. But most of the out in the wild, if it's smooth, no bumps on it, it's poison. If it's got bumps, typically, not always, but typically it's a safe berry. I've trained them to, to discern. Now the little kids go out and they'll start grabbing at everything and to eat it. And, and, but the older ones, no, because they've after all these years of walking, they know which berries are safe and which aren't. And we'll be sitting out there eating berries, and someone will be walking by with their dog and say, oh, Are those safe? Are you? And, you know, and I'll say, Yeah. And the kids look at them like, yeah, What are you talking about? They're safe. We're eating them, aren't we? And, and, and then they'll say, Did you wash them? You know, you know, yeah. I go on a farm, please. You know? So, but my kids, it's amazing then, the adults in our area that don't know you can eat these. I never knew you could eat those berries, you know. And I'm like, my kids are living on these. Are you kidding? And, and, uh, and but they, we, if you don't know the right berry to eat, you could poison, you could die. You have to learn to discern. And it's the same thing spiritually. We have to learn to discern. Just like we have to learn what's poison and what's, gonna, what's healthy to eat and what's poison to eat. We have to discern. A book like The Shack comes out, and I know we've talked a lot about that when it came out. There was people, there was churches selling it in their lobbies, The Shack, you know? That's false teaching. It's garbage. And it turned out the guy who wrote it was an apostate false teacher. He finally came out in the open. But at the time, all these churches were selling it. No discernment. And I know a lot of you process talked to me. We talked about it. We worked, we worked it out. But, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about discussing. But it's amazing the number of churches that just took this book and sold it. it was, it's scary. And, and we go to school. We have to learn to discern when they talk about evolution. We can figure this out, that we're not monkeys, you know. We can figure it out. You know, we discern. And, and my kids in school, there's one teacher always teaching them that Allah and God are the same. Our God, the Christian God and Allah are the same God. Every year she says the same stupid thing. And I go work through it with my kids. And, and it's ridiculous. Talk to the, the guys who we're supporting, right? And missionaries that used to be in that, used to pray to Allah. They'll be the first to tell you it's not the same person. Because how could it be the same person? God is not schizophrenic. He can't tell you, love your enemies in our Bible. And in their Bible say, kill Christians and Jews or enslave them if you can't kill them. It says it. It's in the Quran. And I tell people, why would he say, kill me in this one and say he loves me in this Bible? Is God schizophrenic? No. God says, love your enemies in our Bible. He doesn't say, kill them. So it can't be the same God. There's a lot more. That's, I'm just giving you a real simple. I mean, it, it, it's called discernment. We don't buy that garbage. In college, the kids, what they're getting in college. I know Chuck and, and Joe have been warning the kids the stuff that they hear. My kids are in college, and, and these separation of church and state, you're not, you, you're not supposed to teach all this stuff, but they're constantly teaching against Christianity and, and, and saying things, even in so-called Christian schools. I remember when I went to a so-called Christian school, and Remember my religion professor teaching that the Bible is all myths and, and there was no Jonah and the whale and, and uh, the, the, he didn't even know it was a big fish. And, uh, and it, it just, just we borrowed our, the, our creation account from the Babylonians and blah, 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 blah. It, this was a, a Christian school. It wasn't 
Philadelphia Biblical University. It wasn't Karen. It wasn't that one. It was another one. It, it's just scary. Fuller Seminary. I remember talking to a guy who, whose dad taught at Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary does not believe in the, in, the, 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 that the Bible is infallible. doesn't believe that the Bible doesn't have errors in it. They, they believe it does. But he was telling me how his father was on the faculty. And in order to teach at Fuller Seminary, you had to sign a, a form saying you believe that the Bible is an infallible word of God. That means that there's no mistakes or errors. It's God's word. These men all signed that to come teach there. Then when they got there, they, had, they started a movement and they took a vote on it. And they voted that it wasn't the infallible word of God. He goes, how can you sign a paper saying you believe it and then vote against it? What does that make you right away? Okay. That's exactly. Yeah, Congressman, yeah. So the, the a politician, right, yeah. So, and so they don't believe it. If you get a degree from a fuller seminary, and it's just one of many, you, don't, you come away not believing that the Bible is the infallible word of God. That we, we need discernment. We watch TV or we watch movies. or not watching them. Uh, on the computer, the music we listen to, we need that discernment. When, when, we, when the world, the media is constantly pushing something down our throat, and, and once they're going to come back to the homosexuality because it's the lightning rod in our culture right now. And, and with homosexuality, it, there's this constant bombardment that we're born this way, so it's okay. We're born this way, so it's okay. Now, first of all, I don't believe we're born that way. I believe that, that we may be born with a weakness in a certain area, whether it's homosexuality or anything, but we are damaged by our life. There's, it's a lot more complex than being born a certain way. There's a lot, of, a lot of spiritual, emotional, mental, physical factors that all go into this, this particular struggle. But even if we were, the, the teaching is you're born this way, so it's okay, Right? But even if we were born that way, guess what? We are all born some way, aren't we? We are born with a sin nature. We are all have weaknesses, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's heterosexual sin, whether it's anger, whether it's lying, whether it's addictions, whatever it is. We're all born this way. That's the whole point of why Jesus came. We're all born that way. That's why we need to be born again. We need to be born again. Whatever our struggle is, we need to be born again. Do you, have you ever been born again? Have you been reborn in Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to the cross of Christ and said, God, please forgive my sin? Anything in my life that goes against your word, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of it. I turn away from it. And even though I'm going to struggle with it, I'm going to depend on your mercy and grace to keep on walking in your holiness. Have you ever taken that step of faith? Do you have the discernment to figure this stuff out? Or are we falling to the world's lies and the garbage and all that's constantly going on? Do we understand where the world is, what it really is doing? Do, do we understand that they're really on the broad road that leads to death and they're lost? Do we understand that? Don't buy the garbage. Discern and try to help people. A lot of you followed, and I'll just end with this story. A lot of you followed the whole thing that happened with the girl in the canal, with the, the woman who drowned in the canal. Several people in our church were friends with her. It was sad. We all prayed for her. We were hoping they'd find her alive. They didn't. As the story came out more and more, um, it turns out that she was drinking too much, and she was going down the path that she always walked, and she fell in the canal and drowned. 
it's really sad. Uh, I still try to help people with grieving over this thing. But so many people are upset that, that she, and I talked to some people, I know them, they're friends with her, they're really upset that she fell in the canal because she's lost. But you know what? What's sad to me is she was lost before she fell in that canal. And every one of us were lost before we came to Jesus Christ. And all the people down there in the bars and people living next door to us and people everywhere, they're walking that path and they're just as dead spiritually. The Bible says, spiritually dead, spiritually lost, needing Jesus Christ. And we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, Do we have the love for these people to speak the truth and love? Not just speak the truth, because we don't want to be mean with the truth. There's a lot, a lot of mean people with the word of God. But the Bible says, Philippians 3, yeah, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3, speak the truth in love. Are we doing that? Let's pray. How is God speaking to us this morning? Maybe we need to be discerning, to practice our spiritual discernment. I'm not talking about paranoia, but I'm saying taking the word of God and, and using it to filter everything in life, especially religious teaching. Maybe our prayer today is, God, help me to exercise my spiritual discernment, to be on my guard, in every area of my life to the lies that are being told to me constantly by the father of lies. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that spiritual sight yet because you've never been reborn. You've never been born again. But you don't have to walk out of here blind. Because through faith in Jesus Christ, you can become a brand new person right now. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ. Is the Spirit speaking to you and you're ready to do that now? Then, then take that step. Say, God, I admit my sin. I admit my need to repent and to turn away from everything in my life that goes against your word and your perfect plan for my life. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, your son, who died for me. I give you my life, God. 
I make you Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. If you've just prayed that prayer of faith, you're going to be amazed at what happens because the Holy Spirit is now living inside of you and you're going to see things you've never seen before. You're going to see life in a way that you've never imagined possible because God's Spirit is living in you. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've come with someone or tell me on the way out or fill out the card or send me an email, send me a text so that I could encourage you in your new faith. Father, we pray for a deep conviction from your spirit that anything in our life that needs repenting of or discerning or that's blocking us from moving forward as disciples of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.